you the preceding segment of WMRA's programming of NPR. Please stay tuned for student programming. For information about shows and times, please check the web at www.wmlu.org. The statements, views, and opinions contained on this radio show are those of the DJs and are not endorsed by, nor do they reflect the opinions of WMLU, WMRA, or Longwood University. Thank you for listening to student programming on WMLU Farmville 91.3 FM, the music of Longwood University and Farmville, Virginia. If you are interested in more information about our student programming, you can check out our website at www.wmlu.org under the Schedule and Extra Content tab. To keep up with WMLU events, follow our Twitter and Instagram at WMLU Radio or our WMLU Radio Facebook page. If you are interested in becoming a radio DJ or a member of WMLU, join our organization's Lancerlink page to begin receiving emails regarding our weekly Zoom meetings on Mondays at 9.30 p.m. WMLU also provides DJ services and promotion of community events and Longwood organizations through public service announcements. More information can be found on our website. Thank you for listening and supporting our station. Now back to more student programming. You're currently listening to WMLU Student Programming. For the latest on news and weather and NPR programming, head to WMRA.org. For on-campus and community news, we encourage you to head to the Rotunda Online, home of Longwood University News. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. You're listening to WMLU Farmville 91.3 FM, the music of Longwood University and Farmville, Virginia. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Red Zone. As always, I am your host, Nick Robinson, and this is unfortunately the final show of the semester. But don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, I'll make it a good one before you don't see me for a month or don't hear from me for a month. We got a lot to get to today. We got Longwood Sports, men's and women's basketball. Got some big news in the MLB to talk about. Got some NHL scores, big news in college football as well. Got conference championship weekend there. Some coaching headlines as well. Um, college basketball, we're going to talk about that a little bit. And NFL Week 13 is actually kicking off right now with the Cowboys and Saints. We're going to talk about all that and more on today's episode of The Red Zone. was serious by the Alan Parsons Project. And now let's dive into it, shall we? We're going to start off the evening with Longwood Sports, like we always do. And we're going to start off with men's basketball. They are 4-4, four and four, coming off of a 91-83 loss to Georgetown on Tuesday. Deshaun Wade had 21 points, and Isaiah Wilkins, Justin Hill, and Zach Watson scored in double figures as well. We called said game right here on WMLU. 
Tuesday, my buddy Brandon and I went all the way up to um, our nation's capital to um, call the game between us and Georgetown, and we got to be right there, courtside on the floor in an NBA arena, and that was something truly special, definitely the highlight of my broadcasting career so far, getting to call a game at uh, Capital One. And even though Longwood didn't win, it was still an exceptional experience. Um, I got to talk to broadcasters from um, Fox Sports who were sitting right next to us calling the game live on Fox Sports 2. And that was really cool to be able to talk to professionals in the field that I aspire to go into after college. And it was just fun to, you know, pick those guys' brains a little bit. And also to be directly across the court from one of the greatest basketball players of all time, Patrick Ewing, who is the head coach at Georgetown. Um, he, the Georgetown's bench was right across from where Brandon and I were sitting. And so I was directly parallel across the court from one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And I was honestly surprised Longwood kept it close. You know, that not a lot of shots were falling for them, especially as the game went on. And they could never build a stable lead over Georgetown. And eventually they were just overwhelmed. And unfortunately, that's Longwood's third consecutive loss. And But still, even though that was Longwood's third consecutive loss, one heck of an experience and one that I will never forget getting to call a game live from Capital One Arena. And the men's basketball team will host Delaware State this Saturday at 3 o'clock in Willett Hall as they look to get back on track. The women's basketball team is 3-3, three and three, coming off of a tough one-point loss to Sam Houston on Tuesday. Kyla McMakin and Akilah Smith both scored over 20 points, and Smith also had 11 rebounds, netting her a double-double and they will travel to Drake tomorrow. So right now, men's and women's basketball both sitting at 500 on the season, and um, they're trying to get above 500. And we're going to jump right back to men's a little bit because the game they lost before the Georgetown game last Friday at Old Dominion, I also went to that one. Didn't get to call that one, though. I was just there home on Thanksgiving break. Old Dominion is like 25 minutes from where I live. And that one was also a heartbreaker, losing at the buzzer like that. But they take on Delaware State Saturday at 3, and women's basketball takes on Drake tomorrow. So hopefully both of our basketball teams can get back above 500 on this season. And now we will transition over to national sports, starting off with Major League Baseball, because there actually is some major news this week out of Major League Baseball. And the first piece of it is Max Scherzer signed a three-year deal with the New York Mets, so now they have him and Syndergaard and DeGrom as well. Just ridiculous, you know, and it, it sucked seeing Scherzer go to the Dodgers, who were an NL playoff foe, and now it's going to suck even more with um, Scherzer in our own division, having to play him within the division for the next three years, according to his contract. That's going to suck as a Nats fan because I grew up 
loving Max Scherzer. And don't worry, I forgot about the actual biggest, I did not forget about the actual biggest piece of news this week in the MLB. We got a lockout going on. First uh, labor stoppage since 1994. First official lockout since 1990. Uh, Labor negotiations fell through with the MLB Players Association and the owners. So So there is officially a lockout. The players have been locked out of all MLB facilities. And a lot of people in the baseball world are freaking out because obviously this is the first time in 30 years that this has happened. Um, but I wouldn't worry too much about it, baseball fans. And for uh, two reasons, this will get worked out eventually. This is just a, uh, this is what I like to call a you-know-what measuring contest between the players and the owners. Um, my professor, Dr. Stouffer, referred to it as millionaires fighting billionaires, so there's not a lot of tears to be shed here. That's millionaires and billionaires fighting over who gets the biggest piece of all those dollars. And also, don't worry about it because, folks, it's December. You know, baseball, they don't get into spring training until February. They don't start, you know, getting into the preseason and into the season until late March and into April. So, they got a lot of time to sort this out. It's not like this is happening right before the season or anything. So if you're a uh, if you're a baseball fan and you're worried about this lockout, I wouldn't panic about it just yet. You know, I um I would panic if it's still going on um week weeks and days before the 2022 MLB season starts. But right now, just calm down. It's December. I'm pretty sure they'll work this out before then. And that will move us over to the NHL. And here are your NHL scores from last night. The New York Rangers defeated the Philadelphia Flyers 4-1. to The Toronto Maple Leafs defeated the Colorado Avalanche 8-3. to Ouch. Wonder what was going on there in the goal for uh, Colorado. The Vancouver Canucks defeated the Ottawa Senators six to two. The Detroit Red Wings defeated the Seattle Kraken four to three in a shootout. The Edmonton Oilers defeated the Pittsburgh Penguins five to two. And the Anaheim Ducks defeated the Vegas Golden Knights six to five. Those were your NHL scores from last night. And now from NHL scores from last night, we're going to move over to NBA scores from last night before we get into performances of the week. Um, the Atlanta Hawks defeated the Indiana Pacers last night, 114-111. to And the Orlando Magic defeated the Denver Nuggets, 108-103. to And... The Washington Wizards defeated the Minnesota Timberwolves 115 to 107. The Boston Celtics defeated the Philadelphia 76ers 88 to 87. The Cleveland Cavaliers defeated the Miami Heat 111 to 85. The Milwaukee Bucks defeated the Charlotte Hornets 127 to 125. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks defeated the New Orleans Pelicans 139 to 107. 
The Houston Rockets defeated the Oklahoma City Thunder 114-110. to The Sacramento Kings defeated the LA Clippers 124-115. to And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are your NBA performances of the week. Kicking off NBA performances of the week, we have Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Greek freak. He scored 40 last night, and the Bucs needed every single one of those points in their two-point victory over the Hornets. Um, Jonas Valanciunas, center for the Pelicans, had 39 points and 15 rebounds on Monday, and Carl Anthony Towns had 34 points and 11 rebounds last night in Minnesota's loss to the Wizards. And that concludes our segment on NBA and NBA performances of the week. And now we're going to move over to the college game because while there aren't a lot of big matchups in college basketball, there's one ranked-on-ranked matchup, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But in a week where there aren't a lot of ranked-on-ranked matchups, usually you see top teams getting upset. And that's what happened this past Tuesday while um, Longwood was struggling against Georgetown at Capital One Arena. The Ohio State Buckeyes upset number one Duke, a team that was loaded with um, future NBA draft picks. Um, I know one of Duke's star players who is considered to be a top five pick in this coming NBA draft, he was dealing with like leg cramps, and so he wasn't at his best. And Ohio State upset um, number one Duke, and that you know made life a little better for Ohio State sports fans after that Michigan loss last weekend. But we'll talk about that even more when we get into college football after the break. But there is one ranked-on-ranked college basketball matchup this weekend, and that is number 16, Alabama, taking on number three, Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga is going to win because they shoot better from the field, and they average more points a game, and they also have more star power than Alabama. Drew Timmy is showing everyone why he was the number one recruit in this past recruiting class. And usually, you know, guys, they go from high school, they play like one year in college, and then they leave especially if you're like a top recruit like Drew Timmy is. So this is probably going to be the only year we see him playing college basketball. So Gonzaga fans, um, enjoy it while it lasts. Um, But still, I think Gonzaga is going to take it home this weekend against Alabama and the only ranked-on-ranked matchups. You know, I always like to analyze college basketball, especially as we get closer to March Madness and that's already got me excited to see how badly UVA will disappoint me in the tournament this year. The Red Zone will be back after a quick public service announcement. I'm United States Surgeon General Jerome Adams, America's doctor. And all across our nation, we've taken steps together. I'm United States Surgeon General Jerome Adams, America's doctor. And all across our nation, we've taken steps together to slow the spread of coronavirus. Now we must continue to take personal responsibility to protect ourselves and our loved ones. 
because even though not all of us risk a severe case of coronavirus, we all risk getting it and spreading it to others, maybe without even realizing that we're sick. So if we want to get back to school, back to work, back to worship, and back to overall health, there are things our country needs to do. We need to follow state and local guidelines, take extra precautions if at higher risk, wash our hands frequently, stay six feet from others when we can, and when we can't stay six feet from others, please, I'm begging you, wear a face covering. These small actions will make a big difference. So I'm asking you to say it with me, America. Coronavirus stops with me. You can learn more at coronavirus.gov. Produced by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services at taxpayer expense. Welcome back to the Red Zone, everybody. As always, I am your host, Nick Robinson, and hopefully everyone takes heed of that PSA, especially with the Omicron variant going around. Please get your booster shot if you haven't already. And now we're going to start with our college football segment. There's a lot to get into with college football. There's um, some coaching news which usually there isn't a ton of coaching news until after the season, but there's a lot of coaching news to go over right now. And then obviously we got conference championship weekend this weekend, and I will also give my final prediction for who I think will be making the college football playoff this year. And so we're going to go over the head coaching news right now. We're going to start off with the biggest headline. Lincoln Riley will become the new head coach at USC. He left Oklahoma this past week in the middle of the night, left all of his players to go take the job at USC. And he did that a day after, literally the day after, um, he told media that he would not be taking the job at LSU, making them think he was staying at Oklahoma. But then he left to go coach the USC Trojans, and they gave him a $100 million contract. They bought out his two houses in Norman. They got him a house in L.A., and his family has unlimited use of the private jet. And I have mixed feelings about this hire. One, I think it was very crappy of Lincoln Riley to just get up and leave his players in the middle of the night, you know, not even really confront them about it. And I'm going to go over that even more when I talk about uh, Brian Kelly in just a second. But, um... That was really crappy of Lincoln Riley to do. You know, I that was a great offer that USC made him. USC is a classic program. It's in L.A., but I got to wonder, is US, is the USC job really that much of an upgrade over Oklahoma? Like Oklahoma, I heard, tried to match the offer USC gave Lincoln Riley. But really, I mean, like, USC used to be good. Oklahoma is good, and... Well, I think Lincoln Riley will make USC a national championship contender again. It's just like, you know, Oklahoma is in a much better spot as a program than USC. But now that Lincoln Riley's gone, you know, he's taken some players from Oklahoma with him. Um, a lot of Oklahoma's commits are leaving and committing to, like are decommitting from Oklahoma and committing to USC so they can play for Lincoln Riley there. Um, and Oklahoma football has just been gutted out of nowhere. And one fan theory suggested that Lincoln Riley did this because he's scared of going to the SEC. He's scared of having to coach in the SEC with Oklahoma moving to the SEC soon. 
Um, I can see that. I can see Lincoln, you know, I can see where that fan's coming from. I think that might have played into it a little bit is he doesn't want to have to contend with all those teams in the SEC like Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. And he wants an easier path to the college football playoff because if USC becomes as good as Oklahoma's been, USC will win the Pac-12 every year. And if they go undefeated, we'll make the college football playoff. And that's better than grinding it out in the SEC. But I feel bad for the Oklahoma Sooners. They've even brought back their former great coach, um, Bob Stoops, to coach them in their bowl game. Bob Stoops built the Oklahoma program into what it is now before giving Lincoln Riley the keys to the team that he built. And then now Lincoln Riley is leaving that team in the lurch. And we got Spencer Rattler entering the transfer portal. No word yet on if Caleb Williams is going to go with Lincoln Riley to USC or if Caleb Williams is going to stay at Oklahoma. But I don't think Spencer Rattler is going to transfer to USC because think about it. You know, Lincoln Riley benched him at Oklahoma. I wouldn't want to transfer to USC and play for the guy that like benched me this season. And especially if Caleb Williams also goes um, to USC with Lincoln Riley, um, he wouldn't go to USC you know, to sit behind Caleb Williams there is like he sat behind him at Oklahoma. And so I can see Spencer Rattler honestly going home, back to Arizona and playing for one of those schools, like Arizona State. Um, maybe Rattler will transfer to an SEC team that needs help, but um, that's just a messy situation at Oklahoma. I do feel bad for the Sooners, but I do understand why Lincoln Riley left. And next up, Brian Kelly, former head coach at Notre Dame, also left his team in the middle of the night like an egomaniac and sent them all a text message saying that he would be leaving them and going to coach at LSU. And this is just unfortunate, folks, because this is the business that college football has become. Um, But, you know, NIL, I know this has nothing to do with NIL, but... It kind of does because this is the kind of stuff that makes me that this is why this is the kind of stuff that led to like NIL being passed. This is why I'm glad NIL was passed because coaches can do crap like this crap like Lincoln Riley did to Oklahoma crap like Brian Kelly did to Notre Dame that coaches can just up and leave and go to another school in the middle of the night. Just give the finger to all of the players that they um tried to say, oh, you know, you, you mean a lot to this program, you know, they, that they fed all of that BS or all that recruiting BS to, they can just up and leave them in the middle of the night. And players, you know, coaches used to be able to, and they, they still are, they still are doing it, but they used to be able to um, just go wherever they want, leave their school hanging in the middle of the back, stab their school in the back because another school offered them five extra dollars and a pack of chewing gum and players used to not be able to make money off of their autographs. But, and it was those same coaches that, you know, are backstabbing their programs now that had a problem with NIL. And I'm glad that um, players 
can at least make money off themselves now, you know, do what's best for them. In situations like this, they have more freedom when their coaches do scummy stuff like this. And I'm more upset about Brian Kelly going to LSU than I am Lincoln Riley because I didn't hear anything about um, the contract that LSU offered him compared to what Notre Dame was paying him. And also, Lincoln Riley, strategically, it makes sense. You know, you want to go to the Pac-12 so you don't have to contend, you know, with all those SEC teams to, you know, try to, you know, fight it out to make it to the college football playoff. You pretty much have a free pass if you have a good regular season in the Pac-12. But um, Brian Kelly left Notre Dame, who he's gotten to the college football playoff twice already, and he went to the ACC. He drove, he dove headfirst into this, into the briar patch that is the SEC. And he just sent his players a text. And I think that was really scummy of Brian Kelly um, Stephen A. Smith earlier this week said it was cowardly. I agree with Stephen A. on that. Um, just a total bad situation at Notre Dame. I don't know who all left with Brian Kelly to LSU. And, but fortunately for Notre Dame, they already found their new head coach. One of their assistants, Marcus Freeman, former player, has been promoted to head coach at Notre Dame, and I heard all the Notre Dame fans love this. Like, So they're not missing Brian Kelly too much because they love Marcus Freeman, and they're glad that he is their new head coach. And Oklahoma doesn't have a new head coach. They brought back Bob Stoops to coach the bowl game, but I don't think Bob Stoops is going to come back permanently. I think he's just going in there to coach the bowl game and then leave. So Oklahoma will need to find the new head coach after this year. And you know who else is going to have to find the new head coach? This is as of tonight. My beloved Virginia Cavaliers. Bronco Mendenhall having, he said he was, you know, having a conversation with his family and he wants to be with his family. Bronco Mendenhall resigned as the head coach at UVA after six seasons. Now, I have mixed feelings about this. I am a little sad to see Bronco Mendenhall go because he built UVA from nothing. He took um, UVA out of the gutter where Mike London left them and made them into a good team, a team that goes to bowl games every year. He got us to the Orange Bowl one year. Um, but I also think that Mendenhall had reached his limits. You know, I think he'd gone a little stale, you know, like – after we won the Orange Bowl, and not won, made it to the Orange Bowl in 2019, you know, the best season UVA football's had in a long time. We really fell off in 2020 and 2021. And, you know, Mendenhall, I think a lot of that's on Bronco Mendenhall. You know, UVA wasn't the same the last two years that they were in 2019. And that says something about him, like, recruiting and stuff. And I'm also glad because, like, the, ever since Mendenhall got there, whether it was Bryce Perkins or Brennan Armstrong, the entire offense runs through one player in Bronco Mendenhall's system. The quarterback has to be an absolute superstar in order for you to win because the entire offense runs through him. You know, and Armstrong was great for them this season, but they weren't a team. They were literally the fighting Brennan Armstrongs this season. And... You can't do that. 
you can't run your whole offense through one guy because when that one guy doesn't play, you know, amazing every single week when that wasn't when that one guy, you know, doesn't look like Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes every single week when when he doesn't play like Patrick Mahomes or if he's injured, the wheels fall off. You run the team runs around like chickens with their heads cut off. I saw it when I went to the UVA game when they played Notre Dame a few weeks ago. Brennan Armstrong was hurt. Jay Wolfert was the starting quarterback. And UVA's offense looked aimless. Like all the wheels just came off as soon as Armstrong got hurt this year. And even if Armstrong did play and didn't throw for seven touchdowns and run for three more, then we would still end up losing because UVA's defense was also atrocious this season. And... So I want UVA to get this next hire right, Somebody get somebody who's going to make the program better, build on what Bronco Mendenhall has established, and make UVA a team that can contend for ACC championships. I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, Ed Orgeron becoming the head coach at UVA, bring Coach O to UVA, and then maybe he can get Spencer Rattler. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. Forget I said that last part. I don't want Spencer Rattler anywhere near Charlottesville. Um, but I wouldn't mind Coach O, though. Um, I wouldn't mind Coach O coming to Charlottesville and building on what Bronco Mendenhall is. He's a big name. He can attract big-name recruits that wouldn't have given UVA a second look otherwise. And that's who I would hire if I was UVA is Ed Orgeron. But um, we'll see who ends up becoming the next head coach in Whoville. And one last bit on this before we cut the news and weather, and talk about conference championship weekend. If Mendenhall's gone, I can rest easy knowing that Robert and I, the offensive coordinator, will be gone as well because the new coach will want a new staff. And thank God Robert and I is gone. I will miss Bronco Mendenhall. I will not miss Robert and I at all, especially after last week against Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is the worst that they've been in years this year, and we should have beaten them. At the end of the game, our defense finally decided to not be trash, and they forced a fumble. And this is how Robert and I ran the offense, folks. Brennan Armstrong had a hurt ankle, but guess what? The whole offense runs through Brennan Armstrong. No one else can be trusted to do anything ever in that offense. It has to run through Brennan Armstrong. So, you know, we have three minutes left. Let's not even think about running the football, you know, even though our quarterback has a hurt ankle and we're down by five and there's three minutes left, we got plenty of time. We just need a touchdown. Maybe running the clock down would even be smart in this situation, but Robert and I doesn't know what smart is. And, you know, running the clock down would be smart. You know, run the clock all the way down to like 30-some seconds, score a touchdown, and then boom, Tech has no time left to do anything. But like I said, Robert and I you know, doesn't know what smart is. And he... Hand never hand the ball off once, you know, maybe, maybe he did like, I think I remember seeing them run the ball once, but every other play, Brendan Armstrong, throw it out of an empty formation on a hurt ankle. And that still managed to get UVA into the red zone. And if UVA would have scored a touchdown, all the other stupid play calling would have been forgiven. But guess what? This is the play that Robert and I calls on third and seven in the red zone. He throws a screen pass to an offensive lineman behind the line of scrimmage 
with tech defenders all over him. I was bewildered. That was literally the dumbest play call I've ever seen in my life, throwing it to an offensive lineman on third down. That was even dumber than the the Seahawks throwing it on the one-yard line in the Super Bowl all those years ago. That was even dumber than that because that play, you know, even the Seahawks throwing it on the one-yard line had a much better chance of working than throwing a screen pass to an offensive lineman on third and seven. Like, wow. So the goodness that's coming from this Bronco Mendenhall leaving is that UBA can build on what he's established and Robert and I can pack his crap and go. You know, I was, oh my God. I, UVA's frustrated me a lot over the years, folks, but that third down call, throwing it to a lineman was the worst play call I have ever seen watching football in my entire life. And I'm glad that uh, Robert and I will hopefully be following Bronco Mendenhall out the door. And we will be back with the Red Zone. Going to talk conference championship weekend after some news and weather. You're currently listening to WMLU Student Programming. For the latest on news and weather and NPR programming, head to WMRA.org. For on-campus and community news, we encourage you to head to the Rotunda Online, home of Longwood University News. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Welcome back to the Red Zone, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Nick Robinson. And now we're going to move on from college football coaching drama to conference championship weekend. One of my favorite times of the year, except for the actual college football playoff. But we're going to find out who the four teams are this weekend because Selection Sunday is also this Sunday. And let's go game by game here, and I'll give my predictions. Starting off tomorrow night, we got number 10 Oregon taking on number 17 Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. Um, I'm going to go with Utah in this one because Utah already kicked Oregon's butt once this season and ruined Oregon's chances of making the college football playoff at that time. And so I think they're going to do it again. Next up, we have number nine, Baylor, taking on number five, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State won when these two teams faced off earlier in the year. I think Oklahoma State's going to do it again because, you know, Baylor quarterback Gary Bohannon, he's a little banged up. Oklahoma State's coming off a huge win over Lincoln Riley and the Sooners last week. Baylor also beat Lincoln Riley and the Sooners. And... Oklahoma State, you know, they won Bedlam for the first time in a while, and I would like to see them make the college football playoff, and I think Oklahoma State's going to win. Next up, biggest game of the weekend, SEC Championship, 3 o'clock CBS, Georgia Bulldogs taking on the Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, Most years I would pick Alabama in a matchup with Georgia, but not this year, not this year. Georgia is built different. You know, Alabama, Alabama, most of the most of the time would be the favorites against Georgia. I would think they would beat Georgia, but no, not this year. Georgia's defense is too good. They are absolutely loaded with talent. And that's gonna be too much for Alabama. I mean, I watched Alabama last week. They had to go to four overtimes to beat an Auburn team that was playing its backup quarterback. If you have to go to four overtimes to beat Auburn, with a backup quarterback, you're going to get eaten up and spit out by Georgia. And that's exactly what's going to happen. 
You know, Bryce Young was flustered. They could not protect him at all. Alabama's offensive line was terrible last week. Auburn got after him, and really Auburn's pass rush is what kept him in the game. And I don't think I really need to say much about Georgia's pass rush other than they're one of the best in the country. Um, they're even better than Auburn's pass rush. So if you can't keep if you can't keep Auburn from getting to Bryce Young, you're sure as heck not going to be able to keep Georgia from getting to Bryce Young. That secondary is loaded with NFL draft picks all over the place. Funny enough, I mentioned Georgia and Alabama. Georgia looks like how Alabama used to look, like in the late 2000s, early 2010s. This is exactly how Alabama used to look. High-end defensive talent all over the place, which leaves a lot of room for the offense, which isn't elite, but still gets the job done behind a great defense. Leaves a lot of room for that offense to put up points without pressure because the defense is absolutely smothering their opponent. And Alabama's going to get smothered against Georgia, and I think the dogs are going to pull this one out, and Alabama will be a two-loss team. Next up, we have the American Athletic Conference Championship. Number 21, Houston, taking on number four, Cincinnati. The Bearcats trying to make the college football playoff. First time ever, become the first group of five team ever to make the college football playoff. And they need to beat Houston by a few scores, I feel like. Or I feel like they need to win, and they need Alabama to lose by a good amount. Um, They're going up against the Houston Cougars, whom I... Former high school football teammate Jake Herslow plays for. He caught a touchdown against UConn last week. So happy to see Jake doing that. But um, I think Cincinnati's going to win. You know, they got their sights set on the college football playoff. They did what they've had to do all season long, and they're not going to let Houston get in the way. And I believe that if Cincinnati wins this game and they are undefeated, they should make the college football playoff. And we'll, that brings us to this week's Red Zone poll. I asked my Instagram followers, if Alabama lost to Georgia and it was close and Cincinnati beat Houston, who, would make the co- who should make the college football playoff in that situation? A two-loss Alabama team who lost to Georgia in a close game or an undefeated Cincinnati team? And here are the results. of my Instagram followers said that an undefeated Cincinnati should still make it in over an undefeated Alabama team or a two-loss Alabama team. And so the only way Alabama makes it into the playoff is if they manage to beat Georgia this weekend, which sure as heck is not happening. But if Alabama beats Georgia, then they're both in. Georgia's the only team that's safe no matter what this weekend, what happens this weekend. Even if Bama does beat Georgia, Georgia's still going to make the college football playoff because they're clearly one of the best four teams in the country. Um, Cincinnati, they got to win, and they need Alabama to lose, I feel like, to make the college football playoff. Because I think if Alabama beats Georgia and they both get in, Cincinnati's going to be the odd man out. Next, and we'll talk about that, what I think is going to happen when I get to my official college football playoff predictions. Next up, we got number two, Michigan, taking on number 13, Iowa. Last week... Michigan finally slayed the dragon. They finally got the monkey off their back, and Jim Harbaugh finally beat Ohio State. Michigan running back Hassan Haskins went absolutely wild, just ran over Ohio State's defense. Hassan Haskins balled out. Aiden Hutchinson, a top-five pick at defensive end, 
You know, he got after C.J. Stroud. Michigan wanted it more than Ohio State. They beat him in the snow, and the fans rushed the field. One of the best scenes in college football in recent years, and Michigan now has their sights set on the college football playoff, and just like Cincinnati not going to let Houston get in the way, Michigan will not let Iowa get in the way. I think if Michigan can handle Ohio State, they'll have no problem with the Iowa Hawkeyes. They win. And last but not least, we have the ACC championship deciding who's going to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. We got number 15, Pitt, taking on number 16, Wake Forest. I think Pitt's going to win and win their first ever ACC championship because Kenny Pickett is a stud. You know, Wake Forest has shown some offensive and defensive vulnerabilities this year. And I think Kenny Pickett will be able to pick Wake Forest's defense apart. I'm going Pitt in this one. And now, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to my college football playoff predictions. This is how I think things are going to go on Selection Sunday. And we're going to go seed by seed, starting at number one and going to number four in my predictions for the college football playoff this year. And we're going to start off, I believe the number one seed in the college football playoff will be Georgia. The reason I just said they're the best team in the country, I think they're going to steamroll Alabama. They're going to put a lot of pressure on Bryce Young, and they're going to secure their spot as the number one team um, when they win this weekend. The number two seed, I believe, will go to the Michigan Wolverines. I think Michigan will handle Iowa and If they're Big Ten champs with the win over Ohio State, no reason why they shouldn't be in. Michigan will be in at the two seed. And the number three seed, I think, will go to Oklahoma State because I think if Oklahoma State beats Baylor, even though currently they're the odd person out at number five, if they beat Baylor and uh, Alabama loses to Georgia, you know, Oklahoma State will be a one-loss conference champion compared to a two-loss Alabama who's not a conference champion Oklahoma State gets in at number three. In the number four spot, folks, I got going to the Cincinnati Bearcats because the Cincinnati Bearcats, you know, since obviously my team is not contending for a national championship, the team that I care about the most that's actually in contention for the national championship is Cincinnati because I love their story. You know, Americans love themselves an underdog story, and that's the Cincinnati Bearcats. They're the scrappy team from the Midwest, from the American Athletic Conference. They're not a Power 5 team, but they've played like one. They beat Notre Dame. They're undefeated. They've done what they needed to do. And if they win and Bamba loses to Georgia, Cincinnati should get the final spot. They deserve it. You know, Link, you know, Lee Corso tried to say, oh, Cincinnati's a joke. They haven't beaten anybody. Notre Dame should get in instead of them. Um then Kirk Herbstreet had to remind the old coot that um, Cincinnati, in fact, beat Notre Dame. So that nullifies the notion that um, Notre Dame should get in over Cincinnati. Cincinnati literally beat Notre Dame earlier this season. And Notre Dame, right now where they are, will only get in if Cincinnati loses to Houston and Alabama loses to Georgia. Then I could see Notre Dame possibly sneaking in but they need Alabama to lose, and they need Cincinnati to lose. 
but I don't think either of those are going to happen. And so that makes the college football playoff matchups. That would put Georgia against Cincinnati in a rematch of last year's Peach Bowl, and it would put Michigan versus Oklahoma State. And I look forward to this year's college football playoff because notice who I didn't mention in those four names, Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. Every single year except that the college football playoff has started except 2019 when LSU won, the national champion has either been Alabama, Clemson, or Ohio State. And I am so beyond happy that if things play out the way I think they're going to, we will have no Alabama, no Ohio State, no Clemson in the college football playoff this year. Finally, somebody knew and I am here for it. I didn't even want Oklahoma to be there, which is why I'm so happy that both Ohio State and Oklahoma lost to Michigan and Oklahoma State last weekend. Just through the roof that we're going to get somebody new, and Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson won't even be there. You know, that that really has me jumping for joy. We will be back with the Red Zone, talk about NFL Week 13 after a quick public service announcement. Domestic and sexual violence can happen to anyone, anywhere. It can include physical, emotional, and financial abuse, as well as sexual assault, harassment, and non-consensual touching. You are not alone. Southside Center for Violence Prevention offers counseling, advocacy, education, and safe emergency shelter. They empower survivors, help to create a community free from violence, and offer help to anyone affected by sexual or domestic violence, regardless of age, gender, sexual orientation, or culture. All services are free and confidential. Volunteer and financial assistance is always needed and welcome. Visit scvpcares.org for more information. Again, that's scvpcares.org. You're listening to WMLU Farmville, 91.3 FM the music of Longwood University and Farmville, Virginia. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to The Red Zone. I am your host, Nick Robinson, and we will spend the final 15 minutes of my final show of the semester talking about this week in the NFL. And NFL Week 13 is actually underway right now. The Saints... And the Cowboys are playing each other right now on Thursday night football. And right now they are at the two-minute warning in the first half. The Cowboys currently lead the Saints 10-7. to um, Right now, Dak Prescott, 14 of 18, 152 yards and a TD. Taysom Hill, 12 of 21, 144 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Mark Ingram is their leading rusher with 12 yards. C.D. Lamb is actually the Cowboys' leading rusher, one carry for 33 yards. That shows you how much help they're getting from Zeke. And now we're going to go into some game picks to finish out the show. So we're going to start off with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on the Atlanta Falcons. I think this one is pretty self-explanatory. You got the GOAT going up against... Matt Ryan and the Falcons. He beat him in Super Bowl 51. He's going to beat him handily here. I'm going Bucks. Next up, we got the Arizona Cardinals taking on the Chicago Bears. 
The Bears are a mess, and they begrudgingly won a game on Thanksgiving because they were playing the Lions, but they can't play the Lions every single week. The Cardinals are the number one seed in the NFC, and they're going to show everyone why when they dismantle the Bears. Next up, we got the L.A. Chargers taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. This is going to be interesting because these two, especially after the whooping that the Bengals put on Pittsburgh last week, um, this is going to be interesting. You know, the Chargers, they've struggled a bit the last few weeks. You know, they've lost a couple games that they probably shouldn't have, like when they lost to Denver. And Cincinnati's at home. You know, I don't know. I think Cincinnati wins this one in a close one. Next up, we got the Minnesota Vikings taking on the Detroit Lions. The Lions are horrible. They're 0-10-1. I think that's easy enough enough to say why this one's going to go to the Vikings. Next up, we got the New York Giants taking on the Miami Dolphins. Um, I'm going to go with the Dolphins in this one because even though the Giants did get a win over the Eagles last week, the Dolphins haven't been terrible. You know, the Giants... The Giants are a bad team. You know, the Dolphins started off this year really bad. They started off 1-7, and seven, but Miami, they play good against the bad teams. Tua Tagovailoa actually had a decent game last week against Carolina, and I think that will continue um, against the Giants, who have a decent defense. Um... So I'm going to go with Miami in this one. I probably wouldn't have a few weeks ago, but Miami's look decent as of late, and decent is enough to beat the Giants. And now that takes us to our next game. we got the Philadelphia Eagles taking on the New York Jets. Um, I'm going to go with the Eagles in this one. You know, they had several opportunities to win that Giants game last week, and they just threw it away, especially with Jalen Hurts throwing that pick in the red zone late. That just absolutely killed them, and they still managed to get the ball back and get a shot to win it at the end. They blew that too. But they are playing the New York Jets, who are a dumpster fire that, you know, couldn't even beat the Houston Texans last week. So I'm going to go Eagles. Speaking of the Houston Texans, that brings us to our next matchup. We got the Indianapolis Colts taking on the Houston Texans. The Colts lost a close one to the Tampa Bay Bucks last week, and they got an absolute stud at running back in Jonathan Taylor. He came in out of Wisconsin a few years ago or last year, and he's looked like a beast. And he's been the centerpiece of Indianapolis's offense this year. And I think he is going to absolutely run through the Houston Texans defense because their defense isn't great. So if you have Jonathan Taylor on your fantasy team, I would suggest starting him because, you know, like I said, the Texans are terrible and Jonathan Taylor has been having an incredible year. So if you want a guy who can get, like if you want to have a good week in fantasy, if you're having a down year so far, um, the guy for you to start is CJ Str- uh, Jonathan Taylor. I think the Colts win this one handily. And next up, that'll bring us to the Washington football team taking on the Las Vegas Raiders. Washington has strung together three wins in a row, which is really 
shocking to me. They tried to blow it at the end by letting the Seahawks score on Monday Night Football, but um, they stopped them on the two-point conversion. Thankfully for Washington, they stopped them on the two-point conversion to avoid a total embarrassment. But now they got to go up against the Las Vegas Raiders, um, a team that's coming off of a big win over the Cowboys, but it's also been very inconsistent. So God, I'm not sure who I'm going to go with here. I know the Raiders are playing at home. They've had a little. They've had more preparation for this game than Washington has, because you know the Raiders have played on Thanksgiving. Washington just played on Monday, so the Raiders have had like an extra four days to prepare for this game than Washington has. And you know, just the way both these teams are playing, it's like it's really a toss-up. I think this game could go either way, but. I'm going to go with Washington because, you know, they've found they've just strung three wins together. I think they can string, string another one together. Darren Waller, I heard, might not play for the Raiders. So that go, there goes Derek Carr's number one target. And Washington's just looked like, you know, they can make plays at time. You know, Logan Thomas is back. Curtis Samuel's back. You know, now that they're, like, fully back in the rotation – um, you know, we'll have to, we'll have to see how much better Washington's offense can be. And so I'm going to go with Washington in this one. Next up, we got the Jacksonville Jaguars taking on the LA Rams. You know how I just said that the last pick, um, between Washington and Las Vegas was going to be a hard one to pick. It was going to be a toss up. This is going to be the opposite of a toss up. I think the Rams, even though they have looked bad, over the past couple of weeks, Matthew Stafford looked horrendous against the Packers last week. Looked like old Lions Matthew Stafford when they were playing against the Packers. And I'm going to go with the Rams to win big in this one. You know, this will be a good bounce back opportunity for Matthew Stafford and company after they were beaten handily by the Packers last week. And so next up, we have the Baltimore Ravens taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, the Ravens won a very sloppily played game where Lamar Jackson looked horrendous. I made the mistake of starting him in fantasy last week, but he looked absolutely horrendous. And um, still, I think they can beat the Steelers because the Steelers are just a banged up team. They don't have a lot going for them, and I think Baltimore can squeak out a win in this one. Next up, we got the San Francisco 49ers taking on the Seattle Seahawks. Speaking of the Seahawks, you know, they um, they looked horrendous in their loss to Washington, and so I definitely don't think that they can beat... Um, they definitely can't beat the 49ers, who, well, no, the 49ers haven't been, like, great either. Um, Seattle just looks horrendous and their top draft pick their top draft pick is going to go to the Jets so the Jets are looking at two um, top 10 picks just like the Eagles and Giants are also both looking at two top 10 picks so this one's going to be a win for the Niners next up we got the Denver Broncos taking on the Kansas City Chiefs 
yes, the Broncos successfully slowed down um, the Chargers, but I think this will also be an easy win for the Chiefs because um, Mahomes and company seem to have gotten their act right. They've had a bye to get ready for this game, and Patrick Mahomes with a bye is... That's a scary sight, especially when you're the Denver Broncos who don't really pack a ton of punch offensively, and I don't think their defense is good enough to like completely slow down Kansas City's offense. And last but not least, we got the battle for the AFC East, the New England Patriots taking on the Buffalo Bills. Um, I'm going to go with the Patriots in this one because they've been on the rise. Buffalo's been you know, a little shaky. And I'm going to go with New England in this one because they look like they're ready to um, they look like they're ready to take back what used to be theirs in the AFC East. And I think New England's going to get it done because their defense looks stingy, and the Denver's whole offense seems to run through Josh Allen sort of like how UVA's whole offense ran through Brandon Armstrong, and that's not going to be enough against Bill Belichick. you got to bring a little bit more heat than that. And so I'm going Patriots on Monday Night Football. And that just about does it, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a, uh, it's been a lot of fun this semester, um, bringing you episodes of The Red Zone every week. I am going to miss this until January, but I know that next semester I will make the last the last semester of the red zone the best one yet. So everybody, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year since I won't see you until next year. Um, you're going to hear, as always, Don't Stop Believing by Journey to close out the show. Um, if you're a student listening to this, good luck on finals. You've got this. And yeah, have, have a happy holidays, everyone. This is Nick Robinson for The Red Zone, signing off. See you in 2022.